please this evening to John's Gospel, chapter uh, 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13. And we want to just break into the story here at verse 16. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he receives. Whomever I send receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. And testified and said, most assuredly I say to you. One of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Let's just stop there. No gospel writer so freely extolled the virtues of the love of God like the Apostle John. And that's why I suppose he is affectionately known as the beloved disciple, or alternatively, the Apostle of Love. Artists have ever depicted John as the one who was always leaning upon Jesus' breast. In the first three chapters of his first epistle, he dedicates that to talking about love. In fact, John, in his gospel and his epistles, mentions love more than 80 times. So it was a big, big theme with the apostle John. The bedrock of his faith was his confidence that he knew that Jesus loved him. Five times in this gospel, he addresses himself in this unique way that no other disciple did. He called himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. He built his whole life upon this fact. There's something Wonderful about the moments in life you have when you realize that Jesus actually does love you. We know that academically. We know it by faith. But there are those moments when it dawns on us. And it's not so much that we love him, but actually that he loves us. And what confidence and joy that gives to us whenever that happens. And so this evening, for a few moments, I want to show you these five places in the gospel where the events that led to John addressing himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. And let's see if we can identify ourselves 
uh, with this. Now, because I say there's five places, that doesn't mean we're going to be here all night, all right? Uh, because maybe I've spent a few moments longer in one than the other, so don't panic. You'll be out of here in good time. Uh, the first one, obviously, we just read in John chapter 13. Now, the context was that Jesus had just finished giving his disciples a lesson in foot washing, a lesson on servanthood. And Mark records the same incident, and Mark tells us that they had been arguing among themselves who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. All they could think about was the kingdom was coming, and Jesus was the king of the kingdom, and they, they were his closest circle of friends and disciples, but which one among them would have the chief places in the kingdom? That's all they were thinking about at this particular time. And so Jesus then, having shown them a wonderful illustration of servanthood by washing their feet, then he says something that brings them absolutely down to earth, something that brings them down to earth with a bump. He challenges their loyalty. He challenges their faithfulness. He challenges their so-called greatness. He says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And in verse 22 it says, they were perplexed. They were puzzled by this. Doubt began to creep in. Because in verse 25, John says, Lord, who is it? Matthew, recording the same story, says, They all said, Lord, is it I? So suddenly, from this business of who is going to be the greatest in Christ's kingdom, to, is it me who's going to betray you? And so you can see immediately he just cut the feet from under them. And they were brought down to earth. Have you ever had that moment when everything was fine? You were doing great. You were filled with confidence. You were full of assurance. You were on top of things. Everything was going grand. And then suddenly something happens. And in a moment... Maybe that phone call came or that letter dropped through your post box or somebody said that thing and suddenly you're overwhelmed with doubt. Your confidence is shot through and you're shaken to the core and it exposes your vulnerabilities and it makes you doubt yourself. Well, that's what happened to these men. That's what happened to Elijah. One moment Elijah's on Mount Carmel and he's slaying the prophets of Baal, 400 of them. Calling fire from heaven. In just a few verses, he's running for his life. He's hiding in the wilderness of Beersheba. He's sitting under a juniper tree and he's saying, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. So filled with self-doubt and Feelings of inadequacy and inferiority and everything. Suddenly it was overwhelming. It was just washing over him in waves so much that he wanted to die and just go to heaven. John the Baptist was the same. John was a powerful man. And Jesus 
said they'd never seen a prophet like John the Baptist, although he did no miracle. But he was a powerful, forceful, attractive speaker, speaking the truth. I mean, he didn't miss and hit the barn door when he preached. He was a heavy hitter. And that's the way he was. And he pointed to Jesus and directed everyone to the Son of God. He says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces, as it were. And all of that was wonderful. And he was strong, confident, assured until he was thrown into prison. And then suddenly, all that doubt began to wash over him. And he genuinely, honestly doubted his whole ministry. The very reason he was born, he doubted. And he sent word to Jesus, Are you he should come, or do we look for another? Have I missed the boat entirely? Has my life been a sham? Because this is what he was thinking. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 5, the great, mighty apostle Paul, here's what he said, without, outside were fightings, within were fears. Now that's an encouraging verse. Because sometimes we put Paul on this superstar pedestal. We make him almost a man without feeling. But he had feelings. And even though he could say, none of these things move me, none of these things is going to put me off track, but that doesn't mean to say he didn't have fears. He says, within were fears. Do you ever feel fear within? Something happens, you're told something that's going to happen, and suddenly fear strikes you on the inside. Happened to Paul, didn't it? So John may have had his doubts about himself, about his faithfulness, about his love. But one thing he was absolutely certain of, one thing he had no doubt about whatsoever, that Jesus loved him. And in the midst of this moment of doubt, remember now he's looking back when he writes this book. Many years have passed. And he's looking back in time, knowing that he had his doubts, feeling how he felt at that moment when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And he said, Lord, is it I? But in spite of that, he still called himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. Interestingly, that Peter had no doubts about himself. <laughs> He had none whatsoever. I mean, he was so bold and so brash and so proud. There was no possible way it could be him. There's no possible way that he would ever let Jesus down. <laughs> Interestingly, he was the one who did. And so there may be moments when you have self-doubt. There may be moments when you look at yourself and you feel a little bit puzzled and perplexed and you don't feel on top and you don't feel super confident. But in those times, never, ever, ever doubt that Jesus loves you. And John looked back and said, even in that time of doubt, 
I know that I am that disciple whom Jesus loved. And then in John 19, here's a time of new responsibility. John 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's himself, standing by, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Big responsibility. Big challenge. From this moment on, he was to take good care of the mother of Christ, the mother of Jesus. Would he be up to it? Could he handle it? Had he got what it takes? Try to imagine him standing there and Jesus saying that to him. Try to imagine what thoughts must have ran through his mind at that time. Because if it had been me standing there and Jesus said that to me, for sure I would have wondered, can I do this? Am I up to this? Am I able for this new responsibility? What if the Lord gave you a new responsibility? Would you be up for it? Do you feel you could do it? Have you got what it takes? Well, John took comfort, and I believe he took confidence in this fact that he knew that Jesus loved him. And because he knew no doubt about it. He knew for sure that Jesus loved him. I believe he was able to think to himself, because he loves me, he trusts me. He's got confidence in me. Whom Jesus trusts, he entrusts. If the Lord comes to you and asks you to do something for him, it's because he trusts you to do it. That's why he entrusts you with it. Because he trusts you to do it. And I think that's what encouraged John and what helped him to be able to do this. He knew that Christ absolutely loved him. Of course, he knows that God loves everybody. He wrote that in his gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. But he says, but he loves me. <laughs> he loves me. You know, sometimes, particularly if we go through difficult times or make mistakes or sin or get it wrong, sometimes it's easy for us to look at everybody else and say, well, God loves them, but does he love me? Or how could he love me? But John seemed to have this confidence. Yes, absolutely. He loves me. 
God loves us enough to call us his sons, doesn't he? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And so, another occasion. At a time of unbelief, John chapter 20. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Here's the third time. And said to him, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And when he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief, and it had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together and placed by itself, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, which is himself, went in also. And when he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So they got the word that Jesus had risen. Peter and John ran to the tomb. John outran Peter, got there first, looked in, but didn't go in. Peter comes charging behind. Being Peter, of course, bull in the china shop, straight past him, right into the tomb. And John took a little bit of courage from that. And then John went in. And then when he saw with his eyes, when he looked at all the evidence, then he believed. But you know, he had doubts. They had doubts about the resurrection. Oh, slow of heart, we are to believe all that the prophets have spoken concerning him. And they were very slow of heart. <laughs> In fact, the woman's story was like idle tales to them. So they were not expecting a resurrection. Even though Jesus had told them time and time again about his resurrection. Even though John had seen three people being resurrected with his own eyes. And yet doubted that this happened. Until he went into that tomb and saw with his own eyes. Then he could no longer deny it. The way the grave clothes were lying, it had to be a miraculous event. And he saw that and he believed. You know, Jesus told them in so many words about his resurrection. Remember the story of Jonah? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Hmm. 
And they knew that Jonah was come out of that belly of the great fish. And Jesus was telling them in so many words that after three days he would rise again. Remember what he told them about the temple? See this great temple? You know that not one stone shall be left with another. While they were looking at that, he says, but in three days, I will raise it up again. But he was speaking about himself. But they didn't get it. They couldn't see it. They were slow of heart. The corn of wheat, except the corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it dies, then it will bring forth much fruit. Another sign of the resurrection. So John recording this event after many, many, many years, in spite of his unbelief, in spite of his slowness of heart, in spite of his doubts, in spite of all of that, he still called himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. Be encouraged, saints. Be encouraged. There will be moments of doubt. There will be moments even of unbelief. But it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that. And John was able to look back and said, in spite of all of that, I know that Jesus loves this disciple. <laughs> what a great confidence. Let's not reduce God to laws and formulas. His mercy, his compassion, his love is greater than we can ever envisage. Even in a time of unbelief. Like the man in the Bible says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I want to believe more. Help me. That's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? Sometimes we're struggling to believe. Let's be honest. He knows anyway. Say, Lord, I'm struggling to believe. Help me, Lord, to believe. And in His grace, He will. But then fourthly, see how quick I am tonight? I told you. I better not get too smug now. Because maybe I'll take a half an hour on the last one. No, I won't. I won't. I promise you. I promise you I won't. In John chapter 21. This was a time of a great blessing. In John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Ah. In time of great blessing, 
do we recognize it is the Lord? He loves us. He blesses us. He meets our need. Do we recognize in the midst of great blessing? Sometimes we recognize in hardship. But what about in times when God prospers us and he blesses us especially in those moments? Do we recognize it is the Lord? Because John recognized it. He says, it is the Lord. Immediately he saw the miracle. And when he saw the miracle, he could put it down to nothing else and no one else except this is the hand of the Lord. Are we as quick to recognize the hand of the Lord whenever he blesses us? Are we just take that for granted? Are we just to say, well, it was one of those things or, well, that's lovely for that to happen? Or do we honor and acknowledge it is the Lord? Because that's what John did in this scripture. Psalm 126 verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us whereof we are glad. <laughs> Thanksgiving is a wonderful, wonderful attitude. To have the attitude of gratitude, to be thankful to the Lord for everything he gives. Just to silently sometimes, just drive along the road and say, thank you Lord. You know, last week when I was in Germany and we got into bed uh, Saturday night, and I tell you, it was dog-tired. We'd driven four or five hours that day in the back of a wee Corsair Clio at 100 miles an hour. It was wild down those autobahns, scared the life out of you. I was breaking like mad, so it wasn't. I was in the back seat. And we did have, we had you know, many meetings we had with people and groups. And it went from 8 that morning all the way through to 11 that night, and I got into bed. At last, I got into bed. It was like that bed in the Ukraine. It was one of those sofa beds. It was as hard as that floor, so it was tell you the truth. The pillow was the only soft part about it. <laughs> I put my head back in the pillow and I said, thank you Lord for this day. You have been in this day. Even though I'm tired and weary, Lord, you have been in it from beginning to end. And this is important. And Lord, good things is going to happen through this day. My heart was just thankful and grateful to the Lord. Not always it got, by the way. Sometimes I'm slow to do that. But it's lovely when you just thank the Lord and just bless Him for blessing you. Because He loves that. We're not ten lepers cleansed. Where are the other nine? Why is there only one coming back to thank me? You think Jesus doesn't notice when we don't thank Him? He notices. So when you have a heart that's grateful and thankful, it blesses the Lord. And then finally, At a time of waiting upon God. In John chapter 21. Jesus had just finished talking to Simon Peter. We mentioned that this morning. Do you love me? Three times. And then in verse 18. Most assuredly. Jesus speaking to Peter, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger you guarded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you're old you will stretch out your hands and another will guard you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turning around, 
saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is, what, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So Peter's asking him about John. And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, mind your own business. <laughs> That's how blunt Jesus was. Mind your own business. Nothing to do with you. He's my servant. If I want him to remain till I come back, fine. Nothing to do with you. You just get on with it. You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that this, his testimony is true. Now we're not sure how many years John looked after Jesus' mother. Historians tell us that he probably stayed in Jerusalem until she died however long that may have been. Remember, Mary was just a young woman. So it could have been many, many, many years. And then after Jerusalem, he went to Ephesus. You know, this is, this is taking over a, a long, long period of time, over decades we're talking here. John died when he was an old, old man in his 90s. So this is a long, long time we're talking about here. And so imagine, here's John. He's doing what Jesus told him to do, to look after his mother. And the years are slipping past. And while he's doing that, all the other apostles are out there, flaming evangelists, going all over the country and all over other countries, Spreading the gospel on fire for God. Seeing signs and wonders and miracles and lots of salvations and healings. All kinds of things. And here he is. At home looking after Jesus' mother. Waiting upon the Lord. Doing what he's supposed to do. But waiting on the Lord. And then at some point... Mary dies, he buries her, and he's waiting on the Lord. What do I do? What do I do? Now he needs the leading of the Lord. Because that phase of his life is over for good. And so he goes to Ephesus. And in the process of time, he becomes the, the senior man, as it were. He becomes the elder statesman of the church. By the way, it's interesting to think, you know, we see John as the apostle of love. We see him now as the elder statesman of the church. But he didn't start out that way. Remember, he and his brother was the two that wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn up the Samaritans. Jesus called them sons of thunder. And so he was bigoted. <laughs> he was a racist against the, the Samaritans. He had a fiery temper. But he knew that Jesus loved him. And Jesus did love him. Completely and wholly. And Jesus worked on him. 
And by the time you get to the end of John's life, he is the elder statesman of the church. He is the apostle of love. He is the man who calls the church my little children. And here he is. All the apostles are gone. All of them are martyred. Even the great apostle Paul, the greatest of them all, he's gone, he's martyred, but John is still living. And it's during this period that he writes his gospel, that he writes his three epistles, that then when he's exiled to Patmos, that he writes the great book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, don't ever call it the revelations. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. People call it the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, it reveals other things, but he's the center of the whole thing. So here is John. Was just looking after Mary, the sum total of all his ministry? Of course not. But he was faithful to that. And Jesus trusted him to do that. And he did that faithfully until she died. And then the Lord led him into the rest of his life, to the rest of his ministry. And all the time he was waiting upon the Lord, all that time he called himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. You see, in all of his life as a believer, in all of his ministry as a believer, in all of that, the bedrock of his faith in Christ was, I know that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little Sunday school song. But there's so much truth in it, isn't there? There's so much truth in that. And if we can just get a handle, if we can just say to ourselves, yes, in spite of any doubts I may have, in spite of having to wait upon God and wondering what's going to happen next, in spite of new challenges in life, in spite of all of that, I know this one thing. Jesus loves me. And that gives you confidence to go on and to trust the Lord, doesn't it? You know, if you're a husband and you know your wife loves you, it makes for a good marriage. And the man said, and the wife said, well, I don't know. That kind of backfired on me a bit, didn't it? What a difference it makes when you know that your partner, your husband, your wife loves you. In spite of all of your faults and feelings, they just love you. That is wonderful. Amen? Amen. Praise God. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> what are you laughing at, John Greer? There are you? 